Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. It's another film spin-off, and uh, as usual, we are joined by our film fanatic friend, Saul Harris. Hello. Hello. I'm Alan, and uh, here as always is Gareth, of course. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello. Now, we touched on the army game uh, in our, uh, earlier in the series. Saul, you're the kind of new boy here. Were you familiar with the army game at all? We, we hadn't mm. watched it before doing it for this show. Yeah, so all the other times I've appeared on here with you to talk about sitcom films, I've had a, a pre-existing knowledge of the, the show and... I think mm. I've usually seen the film before as well. So yeah, this this is a new experience for me because I had never seen this show. I was aware vaguely of it, purely because, uh, if I'm right in saying this, I, I believe this is the first ever British sitcom to cinema transition. That is correct, yes. In fact, I believe it's the first ever sitcom to cinema transition, mm. British or not. Yes, as far as I understand, yeah. But I was completely unable to dig up a copy of... <laughs> the show or the film back when I looked many years ago. I mean I'm not I'm not quite sure when they brought it all out on DVD, but it might not have been that long ago really. They actually got a box set out. Because most of the first series as you know, this was so this was ITV's first sitcom and it was transmitted live. And oh, really? uh, there was just so there's just no recordings of it. That's huh. just not what, how it was done back then. And so most of the first series and most of the second series, which is this cast that we have in the film, uh, are no longer you know existing. So there's a handful of episodes w- uh, with that cast, but then the majority of the episodes that exist are with the cast that came after them. Essentially, they just replaced the entire. Uh, I think that's I think that's really interesting. Entire. I mean. Firstly, that they changed the cast, which is notable in itself. But secondly, because of the way it was recorded or not, most of the surviving evidence of the TV show is the later cast. So this film sort of represents, uh, you know, the best example you've got of that original cast. Mm. Interesting. See, I just assumed it was the classic thing of, right, we're making a film, we can get like one or two of the actors back, we're just going to recast them. You know, British sitcom movies did that What's a lot. What's the timeline, Alan? So this was obviously made before the series had finished. What, what, how many, because there were four series of the army game. It wasn't quite a straight transition, but the cast changed after two. So when was this made during, when was it made? I haven't been able to quite pin down exactly where the transition is, because I think, so the Sergeant Major, who's played by William Hartnell, and then replaced by Bill Fraser, it feels like that wasn't at the end of a clean-cut series. And then mm. some of the other cast are kind of replaced bit by bit. It's, it's not yeah. a clean-cut particularly. However, the film seemed to have come sort of be- in the second series. Uh, yeah. I, but I didn't, I didn't get the impression that it was a kind of, oh, this is, a, this is our swan song, this is the closer, and then the rest of the cast are going to move off. Okay. Hello everyone, this is Editing Alan here. I'm just jumping in here because I've had further information since recording this episode. So after our army game uh, episodes went out, a man named Ian got in touch with me and he had a lot of information about the the dates of when um, the army game were, was made and the uh, who were in different episodes. He's he's assembled all this information based on uh, TV Times archives and some other sources and that sort of thing. So um, it, it seems pretty reliable. And here's the interesting thing. So in series one, two thirds of the way through the series, half the cast go missing for three months because they went to make Carry On Sergeant. So you got William Hartnell, Charles Hawtrey, Norman Rossington. They went off uh, to make this film. 
And so they miss 12, maybe 13 episodes right in the middle of the series. And then they come back. Uh, well, Charles Hawtrey doesn't, but Norman Rusting and Wilma Hartnell come back for the last five episodes of the series. In that gap, they have to bring in other actors to replace them, including Bill Fraser, who comes in to play the Sergeant Major. Then, obviously, after that series finished, William Hartnell leaves and Bill Fraser is brought in as a permanent replacement. That doesn't quite explain why there was such a big cast change. Hartnell left, uh, Charles Hawtrey left, but Norman Rossington stayed for series two. And, of course, Alfie Bass stayed. Bernard Breslau, who is not in Carry On Sergeant and was in every episode of series one, he left as well. So not entirely sure what happened with that, but obviously renegotiating contracts, some people decided to move on. But in terms of the film, I only asked, that came out in February 1959, so that's halfway through Series 2 going out on the TV. So that new cast was pretty well established by then, so in that sense it doesn't quite fit. But that film must have been made in between the two series, so that's between June and September of 1958. That was the gap between the two series there. And it must have been made in that gap because... If no one else, you've got Alfie Bass, who is in every episode of Series 2, so he couldn't have been filming the film at the same time as all that. It must have been done during the gap. Anyway, we'll get into that a little bit more. Thank you very much to Ian, who sent me all this information. Uh, Really interesting. And let's get back to the show. But basically what happened was the show was such a big success that the cast became very popular and moved on basically moved on to do carry on films and that's and so they didn't want to sign up to do 38 episodes of a sitcom in a year again apart from alfie bass who hangs on i was wondering about this just how because obviously it was successful they made several series of the show Mm. i take it it was well received It, it was like a yeah yeah like i say they were they were putting out 38 38 episodes a year um, yeah. each series so they would just churn it out it's obviously fallen into complete and utter obscurity nowadays but then i suppose if you don't have recordings of the vast majority of your episodes that's gonna happen isn't it there's a point here about the the difference between the bbc and itv's policy on repeats through the years you know the bbc historically have repeated stuff more than commercial television not back then, though, were they? I mean, Doctor Who at the same sort of era is famously a show like this where you can't get hold of half the early episodes. It's like, Because it's because yeah. there's such a fandom, there's, you know, people constantly trying to piece old episodes together from mm. like bits of footage found in people's attics and stuff. But yeah. my understanding is that this is just how TV was kind of done. Oh, yeah, until, the BBC like, the... was wiping stuff even in the 70s. It was... But I think the older sitcoms that tend to have resonated throughout the years were colour, and the the black and white Mm, ones do not. And and that even goes to the types of Steptoe and Son that came back and did some more episodes in colour just so they could, basically. Uh, As soon as that went out of fashion, you don't want to be repeating black and white stuff. That's really interesting, actually, because now that I think about it, the only black and white sitcoms I can remember seeing on, you know, British broadcast television when I was a kid growing up were The Addams Family and The the Munsters, which I suppose... (laughs) lends yeah, themselves different. to black and white in a you know aesthetically yeah. so perhaps yeah yeah i think you're right there mm. and and that's why the there was a, a lot of shows they sort of brought back including so there was a there was a sitcom spin-off from the army game called bootsy and snudge in which these two characters have their own little story they did a few series of that 
in the 60s. And then 10 years later in the early 70s, they brought that back or tried to. They just did one series, didn't really do anything. But they brought it back in colour, which is the same principle. It was, they so you remake it. You take, the, you take the classic characters and make something new with them rather than repeating that rubbish, old, archaic black and white rubbish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's probably not just that it's black and white so much as, you know, it's it's not shot particularly well. I didn't realise it was live, but that goes a long way towards explaining it. And even like the sound quality is quite poor as well. Well that's it, and it's all it's all on set. There's no like a location yeah. stuff. It's it is all live and there's a lot of you can literally kind of work out, okay, that character had to leave that scene slightly early because we're going to cut to him in another room doing something else. Mm. And you can kind of, you can watch the blocking as well. It's quite interesting. Even the film, actually, I thought was quite remarkable. Like, But a lot of it just seemed completely overexposed. Yeah. It's quite flat. There, there's a there's a joke early on when they first get to the desert and they're talking about like, oh, it's I've never seen such a big beach. And it's like, oh, they're in the desert, are they? Because I can't tell just to like <laughs> look at the screen. They're just <laughs> in a car and there's like white behind them, just pure white. Yeah, well, I suspect they weren't anywhere near a desert. Pinewood back lot or something. So yeah. yeah. If you're going to set something in the Middle East, you know, make sure you've got the facilities to film something that looks vaguely like that. Well, look, so we we know a lot of our listeners will have heard us talk about the Army game, so let's not dwell on the series too much. We know it's about national servicemen who are at their this camp in Netherhopping in England, and they've got a hapless a hapless officer and a, a mean, aggressive sergeant major, and they're basically trying to get out of doing anything. That's the setup. Can I ask, did you enjoy this show, watching it? I, I did, I did. It's. I think it's, compared to some of the older things that we've watched, I think it holds up pretty well. I agree, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's a little bit samey. You know, there's not, there's not all that much uh, sort of revolutionary comedy. It feels like one of those lovely, safe radio comedies that they've made into a mm. television show. And and just a, an extension of that, do you have a preference in casts? Then I'm, I'm guessing you've seen. Well, I've seen I've seen a lot more of the the later casts, so that that's kind of who I think of when I think of the Army Game mm. now, having watched a few. But that's that's just a quantity thing, really. Yes, I've so I've watched I've seen a lot more with the second cast, but also basically that second cast I've never seen them in anything else, so they are those characters. Whereas the first cast you've got Charles Hawtrey, Bernard Breslau, Norman Rossington, the kind of people that I associate. All right, let's be fair they're playing basically the same characters they play and everything else mm-hmm. but it, it it feels like a kind of carry-on tv show it's not mm. quite the same energy but that early carry-on stuff so i think perhaps there's less baggage as well do you know much about the production of the film like how it came about because with this being the first time a, a sitcom was adapted to cinema i mean how did that come about you know what's the history there it's Hammer, it's Hammer Productions, mm-hmm. and they did quite a few sitcom films in the end. They did the On the Buses yeah. ones, I think. But yeah, it's um, it's something you can do relatively cheaply. And this was a time where British, so British films, was they were subsidised to an extent, or, or was, there, was there a quota? They had to make a certain amount of British films. To get in cinemas. In, so cinemas had to per- show a certain amount of British films. And so there was a good market for churning out some cheap British films they can just throw on mm-hmm. uh, in between your Hollywood fodder. I think there's a market there. If you like these characters, you watch them every week, you feel like you're, you know, you're, you're invested in them. Then you, you don't get repeats. You can't, you can't record it and watch it later. So this is a nice way to, to extend the universe, you know? Yeah. Cause obviously with the cast we have here, the cast of future carry on stars and the, and the setting of right. it, this feels like a sort of prototype carry on film and carry on sergeant, you know, is the closest one to it. 
Well, it feels like as much as Carry On Sergeant does, because Carry On mm. Sergeant is not, if you look at it compared to, say, Carry it's On, not camping, carry on it's not the same thing. It's It <laughs> it's, takes a lot from the army game. It's got William Hartnell mm. as a sergeant major for a start, you know, that's straight up. But also the general vibe of the, of mm. the comedy and everything. I've heard this a lot, this idea that this was like a blueprint for the Carry On films. But I, as a film fan, like probably my most glaring blind spot is that I've never seen a Carry On film um, at all. So that's you being idiosyncratic. Why have you never watched a Carry On film? That's a deliberate decision. But why? Why would I? Have, I've never been. Exposed How could you have to not seen a Carry On film? Just by when you, when I think of some of the rubbish you've talked about, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's not, you know you watch a lot of films. You are, you have watched a lot of bad films, even by your own definition. How have you yeah. never got round to watching a Carry On film? Well, I try to watch things that I deem culturally significant, and oh I don't come know, on, I don't... you think Carry Listen, On films are culturally significant? Yeah, but when, when I say culturally significant, I'm talking about on an international on an international scale. I don't really care about what the UK is oh up God. to. Um, no, I've just never been exposed to them, and I don't know. They're not they're not meant to be good films, are they? They're they're not remembered as like classics. There's so many other films that I sort of mean to tick off first. Yeah, look, it's not like I'm making a stand by having not seen yes, them. Yes, you are. It's just never happened. I've never been exposed to them. Are they on TV? Like, well, I watched them my entire childhood. I I feel like I was watching Carry yeah. On films. They were a staple yeah, of my. I know, I know but y- yeah, you're those. significantly older than I am. I don't feel like they <laughs> were on television when I grew up. <laughs> yeah. But also bear in mind that I'm very, you know, if I if I'm going to watch the Carry On films, I'm going to start with the first Carry On film and yeah, watch them yeah, all in yeah, order. Yeah. So it's going to be a whole thing. So I will do it. That is a bit of a problem, Sol, because the first ones are pretty dull. <laughs> the later ones are at least a stupid, silly fun. The first ones are just quite difficult. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine I'm going to like any of them at all. Anyway, my 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 question was what what is this that you're referring to with this like is it is it just certain cast members was carry on ripping this off with their shared writers like what exactly Yeah, quite a few, just nothing particularly official. Um but for example, Sid Collin who was the creator of the Army game, one of the main writers, he wrote for some Carry On films later on and Talbot Rothwell who wrote most of the later Carry On films he worked with him quite a bit on other things cast connections definitely so William Hartnell who is the sort of tough sergeant major in the series not in the film and obviously went on to become Doctor Who most famously he was the angry hard sergeant major in Carry On Sergeant which was the first film and that first film is essentially there's a similar setup to the army game it's like oh well what if you made an army game film but with different kind of characters see i was i was going to ask if this uh the army game was influential beyond what i was aware of i i kind of got the impression that for example ricky gervais and steve merchant took a bit from this with um putting together when the whistle blows but now that you say charles hawtrey was in the carry-on films i imagine they're just you know i felt like the the very effeminate uh clearly gay character in that sitcom was based on this i don't think ricky gervais has watched the army game i think ricky gervais was uh, mining tropes and those tropes yeah. that were in part yeah, originated yeah. in the army game and let me let me let's be clear yeah so charles hawtrey is not the character is not 
supposed to be gay and and really i because i there's a bit in the film not to jump too ahead but there's a bit where all the men are surrounded by women and like getting off with them and so on and then he is very noticeably uh just sat there drinking a glass of wine and reading to them from a book and not getting involved physically which i thought was like oh because he's the gay one (laughs) haha no he's reading poetry to them Sol, which is how you woo a lady that's that's (laughs) he's very like hands off with him though and then a glass of wine as well seems like it seems, it seemed more like he was having a good time with his best gal pals you know the charles hawtree character is called the professor and he wears glasses so i think that's his character i think he's supposed to be the smart one and he is the one right. who kind of comes up with little plans and stuff i think because right. you because you cast charles hawtree as that he therefore becomes the gay one because Haw- charles hawtree is as camp as Christmas, and that's all. So that's all he can do. In the 1950s, was it just sort of were gay people less? Um, don't ask. Were don't they more tell. in the shadows? So you the, didn't... Yeah, don't ask, don't tell was the was the approach. Everyone, everyone's. It's, there's a nod and a wink there, and everyone's having a laugh at, at him because he's so camp. But he's not actually gay because that would be. So, horrible. so the audience were like, "Haha, he's camp." It wasn't just like he's camp. Yes, it wasn't complete. It wasn't like how Freddie Mercury was in a band called Queen, and no one knew that he was gay. <laughs> until he no one had any idea. Right, <laughs> um, and the classic camp comedy character is exactly what that is. It's it's the acceptable gay that, it, it, and it's okay because he's not even pretending to be a man. It's like it's okay because he's a hairdresser and he just hangs around with women and he's not a threat, and everyone's just okay with that. It's, it's funny you mention that, Alan, because this film had a male uh, hairstylist on in the credits, which I found very unusual. <laughs> I don't think I've ever I seen think, that in a film I before. Think but... Back in those days, it was. You don't have women yeah. in the crew. <laughs> Did you know? Well, actually, I've got a, I've got an interesting fact for you here. Sid James, when he first moved to England, made his living as a hairdresser, a ladies' stylist, mm-hmm. um, and he was very popular with the ladies. Actually, oh, but he was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got one more question before we get fully into the film. The title I only asked with an mm. R in it. Yes. What's the deal with that? Why is it not called the Army Game Movie or the Army Game? Is I only asked a catchphrase from the show? Yeah, it's or something? Bernard Breslau's catchphrase, isn't it? Because he's stupid, right? Mad madcap antics will occur because he's so stupid, and at the end he goes, "Oh, I only ask." Did he? Did he say that in the? Episode he says it right at the end. Literally, it's the last dialogue it's the last in the line. entire film. No, I know in the film he does, but in the in the episode I watched, he might not have in that specific episode. Okay, but, um... okay. Well, it's a good question, Sol, because I. I'm, my assumption is that was a well-known catchphrase that he used, but because there's no evidence, there's no there's no episodes to watch, so we're yeah. <laughs> sort of drawing that conclusion. Fair enough. No, that makes a lot of sense. It'd be like making a a, a one foot in the grave movie called "I Don't Believe It." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect analogy. Okay. But it, it's it's interesting they didn't just call it the Army Game film, and I, it mm. doesn't seem they seem to have a legitimate. This is a legitimate kind of. It's all the cast, and it's an official production. It says in the credits based on the show, the Army Game. You know, it's not mm. like they've just they're ripping it off. But maybe that. Yeah, exactly like you say. If you were going to make a one foot in the grave film, you'd call it. I don't believe it. Yeah. yeah. Didn't Catherine Tate just do that? And she just made, like, bothered the movie. Like a or film something. about her, the Nan character, wasn't it? It was the Nan character. Oh, yeah, no, okay, cool. I think it's just called The Nan Movie, though. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know yeah. if they got past that. Uh, let's get into the film. So, we know from many, many sitcom film spin offs that we've discussed that your, your classic trope is the cast go on holiday. Mm. We're not a million miles away from that here, are we? No, well, it's the same principle. You're taking them out of their normal surroundings and into a, what 
ultimately has to be a bigger surrounding because mm. their surroundings, their everyday surroundings, are established by a stage, uh, you know, a soundstage set. So by very definition, it has to be kind of small and insular. And so we want to get them out of that. We want to go, hey, look, it's a film and we're big. And so, yeah, go on holiday. In this case, go to the Middle East, uh, a fictional Middle Eastern country, mm. where all the people who live there speak with beautiful British accents. Yeah, <laughs> Apart from and, appear to, and appear to be British with boot polish on their face. <laughs> <laughs> Different time. But then, if you're going to do that and have an, a, a bigger world and a bigger set... Actually go for in the sets. Why, why, why <laughs> put the same soundstage and just scatter yeah. some sand across it? <laughs> yeah. I think some some of the stuff, like the harem place and the palaces and stuff, it's mm. it's all right. It looks perfectly fine. Yeah, okay. And black it, and white it, is, forgives a lot of sins. Yeah, <laughs> but, it um, it's, it's not impossible to film stuff set in the Middle East in the UK... Maybe not desert, but like there are parts of the UK that make a very good double for like parts of the Middle East if they real. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just it just assuming budget was the reason. It's but then I guess even filming outdoors costs more money than filming in. A I mean, this studio. would de- this would have been a cheap film. I'm no yeah. doubt about yeah. that. There's yeah, uh, there's yeah. there's a few bits where you've got like drilling machinery and and that sort of thing, but it's there's one explosion. There's a sequence at the end with a whole load of extras as well. Quite, yeah. a, quite a few for... Yeah. An invading army, all nine of them. Well, yeah. I mean, given, given, given how many actors have been in the film up until that point, I was surprised. I was really yeah. expecting them to try and get away with, like, three bad guys. Of <laughs> yeah. Shall we do a quick precy of the plot? Let's do a quick, okay, uh, a quick summary. Let me have a go at that. So, our brave boys from Never, Never Hopping are stationed overseas in this mysterious Middle Eastern country. And what's going on is there is oil about to be discovered or not. Uh, and the, the the prince, what's his actual title? Is he a sheikh or is that me being racist? Oh, I, I, I think they were deliberately vague about it, yeah. <laughs> he's, trying, he's trying to make a little bit of the old petrodollar. But his brother is um, trying to stage a coup d'etat to get his hands on this uh, on this oil money. And so the prince has got this battalion of British soldiers to protect his interests. But there's a mix-up in communication, and this battalion of British soldiers is just our four lads. It's all your favourites, but just uh, in a slightly different setting. But there's real jeopardy. Like, the jeopardy in the TV series, the jeopardy Hmm. was, you know, they got caught in a room with a woman and got shouted at. There's an actual attempted murder scene in this. A couple of times, the you know, the, the, the invading... The, the coup de ta- the coup plotters come in and try and kill them all in their beds. There's there's real jeopardy here. Yes, you actually see people dying as well. People yeah. getting shot and then yeah, which I thought was you just don't see. We're that not in another hopping it. anymore. <laughs> but they don't re. It doesn't really phase them. I think if you're going to raise the stakes like that, the characters have to adjust and. It's react 1950s. They, they didn't get PTSD in the 1950s. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I was just watching an episode of the army game where Alfie Bass has definitely got depression and they pretty much just tell him to snap out of it <laughs> and, he, yeah. and he, he gets a pen pal and that, that fixes That tallies with my military experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so plot-wise, it's a little bit just jumps all over the place. Um, there is that kind of running thing of there's the prince and his brother fighting and then there's the oil thing. But the whole point is that the oil 
when the oil is discovered, the brother is going to come and try and usurp, right? That's kind of the whole point. Mm. Was that if there's mm. something worth nicking, they're going to try and nick it, and so they need protection. But the very climax of the film is oil is discovered and everyone comes together happily because of it. Uh, not- yeah. <laughs> There's no logic to the thing. The There's not a lot of logic there. And then we have the subplot of them getting off with the harem girls. Yeah, so they discover a tunnel from their barrack room. Tunnel of Love. To the, yeah, it's called the Tunnel of Love. Well, what we discover is that where they're staying are, are barracks that were used during the Age of Empire, like, you know, 80 years earlier by soldiers, and they find graffiti from those those original honest British Tommies who were trying to get to the harem to, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. And obviously, every woman in the in in there is like a sex slave. So so kind white. of like thrilled <laughs> to see white British men who they don't normally see that they they are like really on board with it. They're they're really thrilled. They certainly don't raise the alarm, do they? There's no yeah. question that like, oh my god, some men have just broken in. We should. Well, they they do scream like at first. They're shocked when they walk in, and they go, "No, it's all right, ladies." And. Uh, then they're like not not only like on board with it, but like literally fighting over getting off with the men. They don't even like go for the the attractive one, <laughs> sort of relatively not. normal looking one. I've got a lot of time for Alfie Bass. I think he's quite a funny guy, but he's not a good looking man. Like your first impression <laughs> is not, oh, I want to jump his bones. <laughs> they do get tricked into going out abroad by uh, by tricked into volunteering, which. Um, I did notice was repeated in an episode later on with the second cast. They, a similar thing happens where the exact same sort of thing plays out. They get tricked into volunteering for something. Mm. And the corporal is, never volunteer for nothing. That's what my dad taught me. Yeah. Very much exactly the same bit. We we noticed in watching the series a few repeated plot yeah. lines. Not script word for word, but a few ideas. Get that it. episode you watched, Rax, there's, a, there's an episode in the third series with the new cast. And it's basically a almost a shot for shot remake. And yeah. and we were talking, you know, this is like they don't do repeats, so this is how you did a repeat. You just refilm it. The main thing to note with the cast is that there were two principal actors who played the um, sergeant major in the TV show. So you had Willem Hartnell, who left after a couple of series and then um, found fame as the first Doctor Who, and Bill Fraser, who plays Snudge, who became with Alfie Bass's character Boots. Uh, they became the like the main focus and the, 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 the most popular characters, and they had got their own spin-off called Bootsy and Snudge. However, I guess neither of them were available for the film because here we have the Sergeant Major played by David Lodge. So he's yeah, not so in the he's show not at all. In any he's, of the TV he's just, He was just dropped in for the film. And for what it's worth, I think he does a really nice job. I think he embodies that same character. He's much more akin to Snudge than to um, Bullimore, which is the William Hartnell version who was a lot harder. Snudge is a much more of a comedic kind of cartoonish character. And David Lodge's character sort of falls more towards that, I think. But I think it's it's surprising, like as someone who's watched all the Snudge episodes, and that is very much my idea of what that character is. I don't watch this film and it feels out of place. This guy slots in really nicely and surprisingly well. But again, it's it's it. I think it shows the nature of what was happening here. This was a quick cash in, really. Uh, mm. Oh, so and so's not available. He's doing a he's doing a tour at theater mm. or something. Oh well, just put someone else in. This yeah. wasn't like we're going to encapsulate the TV show on film and everyone's going to love it. It was just yeah, but I mean like, they they still do that today, Alan. They did that with the Matrix Four, you know. Hugo Weaving's filming something. Should we should we wait a week for him? Nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, that younger bloke. At least that you can morph his face. 
(laughs) computer um, with his uh, because he's in the Matrix, right? But let's look at some of the other cast um, who are not our principal actors. So, for example, um, you know, we've got some fine Arabian names here. Francis Matthews, Marnie Maitland, (laughs) Michael Ripper. I mean, I I don't know how they got this authentic (laughs) Middle Eastern guys in, but uh, yeah. It's great representation for 1958 as well, isn't it? (laughs) Representation of boot polish <laughs> manufacturers. Yeah. So there are, there are so yes, we have a load of Middle Eastern characters. They're all played by white guys, blacked up basically. And 958 that wasn't a controversial thing. It wasn't. So it wasn't I, like you know, were... we we do say different times, but genuinely that would not have raised an eyebrow in 1958. No. Certainly not in the circles of people who were watching and making these things. Perhaps Indeed. in the in the circles of Middle Eastern actors who were out of work, <laughs> might have been a bit. Uh, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying it would not have been controversial. Yeah, and I, but I, I do like that the, you've got the one who's like the working class kind of spiv character. He puts he's putting on a bit of a whatever I don't mm. know Middle Eastern voice, but the rest of them are just doing British accents, including mm-hmm. the ones like the the prince and his brother. Like you could argue, like at that time, they probably went and got educated mm. in. Oxbridge University, wherever that is, but they're like they're like <laughs> assistants joke every and time. stuff. <laughs> every time, <laughs> uh, their assistants and all that are all just speaking with British accents as well. Like at least do the voice. My dear Sir Edward, as her Britannic Majesty's representative, surely you recognise a coup d'état when you see one. You mean? I mean that Darawa has a new king. Aren't you forgetting something, Mahmoud? I have a brigade of guards at my disposal. I mean, doing the voice makes it a little bit more racist, but but you're right. You can commit to it. Commit to your racism. <laughs> you characterised it as a working class voice. I I kind of took it as just like, oh, he's he's meant to be the funny one. He's the one where we're making fun of the stereotype, and the other mm. people are just sort of straight men who happen to be because of the logistics of the plot people who live here. They're rich and quite posh and in power. Therefore, they can be a bit more British and English. Mm. Yeah, the other guy is just a whatever he is, a Darwin. He's a bit of a ghost. He's also the the bumbling comedy character, you know, for example, falls mm. out of a window at one point because he startles himself and then, you know. Well, they have they have that exact it. same character in uh, the the mummy, the Brendan Fraser mummy films. <laughs> and that was in what 1999. So true. You know, we didn't move well, on that quickly, did we? <laughs> there's right. So if we're talking about things that haven't aged well in this film, things sure. that feel like a real throwback to you know something that wouldn't have raised an eyebrow back then, presumably, but nowadays it's it's baffling. There is a musical number in this yeah. film, fifty-seven <laughs> minutes in, out of nowhere. And while you could absolutely find that in a British sitcom movie now, nowadays it would be a kind of postmodern, ironic, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we burst into song? I think this is completely sincere in this film. Am I am I right in saying that? I think it's just a complete. I think it's, it's when you go for a wee. I think it's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a sort of interlude. You're here and I'm here. But we're only passing the time here alone together are we Hey, do you know what? I think you might you might be right there. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> actually I'm it was like, oh, it's the it's the 
Yeah, the ballad. Let's yeah, you know, go get a drink. <laughs> Speaking as a middle-aged man, whenever I go to the cinema now, I would I would love it if they said about an hour in, there's a scene which you can probably do without, because it's like Russian roulette. You know, if I walk out for my wee now, because I can't last two and a half hours. Films are too long. You can't last two and a half hours without a wee. We record podcasts with with guys regularly <laughs> for about two hours, and no, he can't go two hours without. I, I'm not kidding. I I will need to pause before three o'clock. <laughs> Good lord. But, but this is a this is a, a brisk like hour and twenty two minute film. This is not. Um... You've just watched the Pathé News before, haven't you? I, I do you know? Do you? You probably don't. But do you know anything about that song and why it's included? Because I know I know comedies. You know, like the Marx Brothers films of the the thirties into the forties and so on. For example would just have musical numbers in them. Like, obviously, you know, it used to be a category and uh, still is yeah. at the Golden Globes, was best musical or comedy. Like, the, mm. the two were mm. kind of tied together. So is this just a, a holdover from from that idea that comedy and musical go hand in hand? I assume the TV show never had songs in it. The, the TV show never does it, but it goes back to your musical traditions. Yeah, you com- your comedian mm. would come on, tell a few gags, and then do a song. And then, like, a legit straight song. You know, yeah. Bruce Forsyth did that you know um tom o'connor would probably knock a couple of songs out at the end Mm. it it kind of leans into that but also this is a song in character let's not make any doubt about that and it is supposed to be a bit of a silly song Mm. because it's a character who is kind of doing this love ballad that doesn't normally kind of have any sincerity to him so it seems a bit out of place but also remember that there was also a real sideline at this time for character songs this song was yeah. released as a single, and you could make a little bit extra cash on that. And there was quite a few. Was it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they all. Well, there you but, go. And wow. he and, and other songs as well in that in that character voice that he does. When I was five, I asked me mum, "Oh, won't you tell me, please, from where did baby come? You come from heaven, don't you know?" I said, "I thought I come from Bow." I only asked. I only asked. So here's a comparison for you. This is about the same time as all those Elvis films were coming out. And that, that was a vehicle to sell his music. You know, I'm not saying that's what this is, but, but yeah, that's part of the business model, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. And what, and what's more, just for on the point of that, the, the point is that the character has kind of fallen in love with this lady, even though they don't speak the same language or anything, but that's what the song is about. True love. But he doesn't go anywhere, other than he tries yeah. to kidnap her at the end as a bit of a gag. Like that's not, the, that's not a kind of a love story that he has to go and save her at the end. I, I guess why you've got Bernard Breslau place. with his golden voice of a canary. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna use it, aren't you? <laughs> so, um, can I ask you just those principal characters that we have? Like, what what do you make of them? Like, what what was your takeaway from those characters that you've, you because you haven't seen much of them, obviously? I felt like we had two straight men. Um, I could have done with combining two of them into one. Who who's that then? Who are you talking about? I guess Boots is it and yeah, Alfie Bass, Springer, Boots and Springer basically seemed interchangeable to me. Well, so Springer is the corporal, so he he's ranks above the other ones, you know. So he's like um, in charge, and he's a he's a spiv, he's a Cockney barra boy who who's a, who's going to mm. get everyone out of trouble. Bootsy, Alfie Bass's character of Boots. He is the one who stays into the second cast and was in the show throughout. He's the only holdover from that original cast. Mm. And his character develops along that and becomes much more 
childlike, silly, um, and and more comedic, definitely, uh, as the series goes along. It doesn't come across in the film particularly. That's, I'm, yeah, it's going purely off the film, really, and I suppose that one episode I watched. But mm. you know, you, you've got your big burly idiot character. That's that's fine. That works. You've got your prof, your gay gay professor. What's interesting about that character in the film is that I was watching it. I realised that in that big climactic kind of battle shootout at the end, like Charles Horshey wasn't in it, and I was like, oh my god, was he just not available? Like, what was that? So I rewound and rewatched it, and he is there. He's in the background all the time. He just does nothing of any kind of central position. Even though the other characters are specifically shown kind of doing some kind of little wacky fighting thing. Mm. Um, he's just in the background. They just didn't know what to do mm. with him, I guess. I preferred Potty, Sergeant Potty, whatever his name is. I preferred yeah. him in the TV show that I watched. Um, well, it was a different than... actor. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> I mean. Totally I, pr- I preferred the whoever it was playing him in the show so that's, who wasn't that's David William Lodge. Hartnell. Yeah, I thought I got a much better sense of his. Or maybe I didn't get a much better sense of his character in the film. David Lodge, he just comes across like a total tool. Uh, mm. Whereas in the TV show, he came across a lot more like you know, there's layers here. He's got a job to do. He's maybe a bit of a knob, mm. but he's mm. also like not the worst person in the world. It reminded me of Blakey. <laughs> well, the comparison okay. that Alan drew was with Porridge, with uh, Fulton Mackay. And, oh, and of course, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I think that's a great uh, comparison. You know, you, you men all trapped together in a situation with one authority mm. figure who you're constantly trying to score points from. Mm. Yeah. Well, William Hartnell in the in the uh, the original incarnation of that character, he is a stern sergeant major. He is the career military guy looking after a bunch of idiots who don't want to be there and are not interested. And it's frustrating, and you know it's beneath him, and and he knows yeah. that. Mm. And but then yeah, so when they reprise that later with Bill Fraser as Snudge, it's much more of a sneering kind of eye twitching cartoon character yeah. bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And it still works. It actually works. Perhaps it works a bit better with the tone of comedy that they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a sillier character certainly. So yeah, as part, through the plot, they they tunnel through to the the harem and they they um, get off with all these ladies. Obviously, not actually seen doing anything with any of them. One of them's getting off with one of them pretty. I don't think there's any on, kind of. There may be some hand to hand. It might be. A, it might. Be, it might be a theatrical snog where he's kind of like he's nuzzling her put, neck, putting his own like <laughs> turning his back to camera and putting his own hands around like he's getting. <laughs> they, might, they might not actually be doing anything, but it's it's clearly a depiction of a guy having quite a full on snog with a woman. It was more than I was expecting, to be honest. Uh, there was a there was a lovely bit in this, Gareth. I know you appreciate a bit of Cockney rhyming slang. Hello. That's a very fair bit of tomfoolery. <laughs> We're meaning jewellery, of course. <laughs> He's admiring her blue. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> they they all say that. They all say, like if you go up my land, they're all talking about tomfoolery. <laughs> uh, so they they get off with these ladies, and then they're going to come back, but then they get disrupted because there's a whole attack of the fort going on, and they get taken prisoner by the the bad guys. Then the the good. Good, good, bad guys. It's not very well established, particularly. It's just one group and another is whatever. But they need one of the group to pretend to be a seductive lady to lull the guards across and, and then take advantage of them. And so they go with the one who's six foot seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, yeah. 
So Bernard Breslau, now this is very carry on, this scene, Sol. Bernard Breslau dressed up as a lady, coquettishly getting a man to come over and then smashing him over the head with a vase. That is, that's carry on right there. I can't believe I've not seen any of these films. The bird song noise as he sort of <laughs> does a little half pirouette and then falls to the ground. <laughs> and he probably reveals a leg and it goes... <laughs> I mean, look, it's not it's not a great film, this. But what I will say, what I will say is, it was very it was very watchable. I, I feel yeah. like probably probably what you got from the show, from the sounds of it, like mm. it it's very just easy to sit back and you know, obviously you've got to kind of take it as a product of its time. There's a lot of problematic elements and what have you. Enjoy is almost a bit strong, mm-hmm. but. I'm similar to you, Alan, in that I can kind of watch a really crap comedy and typically get some degree of entertainment out of it, mm. even if I'm not, like, enjoying it, mm. necessarily. Yeah. yeah I think I that's my, my my attitude towards, as I said to the TV show, yes, it's great, it's fine, it's good to have on in the background, it's not groundbreaking, it's very gentle. And the film, yeah. not quite the same, but there was never any... I, I was eye-rolling, at the film, I wasn't scoffing and saying, oh, this is rubbish, but it was just like, oh, gosh. You know, there was a little yeah. bit of eye rolling at the plot contrivances and so on. But it, it was fine. I imagine if I watched more episodes of the show, I would probably get into the rhythm of it. I, I think yeah. I, I enjoyed the film more than the episode I watched, purely, I think, because the pacing felt a bit more like I could actually breathe. And I, I think the fact that it's filmed live, the, the show really didn't help. Like I say, the sound quality wasn't great. And thing, just like on a technical level, the film's mildly better. <laughs> Those early episodes that have survived were not kind of clean recordings yeah. either. So it's probably yeah, not that exactly. good a transfer. Yeah. But also, this, just to talk of that uh, briefly, transition from uh, TV to film, obviously the big difference is they're not in front of an audience. They are just, mm. this is a single camera setup. You see how often that goes wrong with sitcom films. Just not having the laugh track is, can make a huge difference. I actually think mm. this one works really well. I don't feel like it affects yeah. it too much at all. Yeah, like I say, I, I, I found the pacing, for me, it worked better. The, the fact there was a bit of space to breathe between each kind of gag like like you say often when sitcoms mm. transition sitcoms with an, an audience or a laugh track transition to film it feels very cold and empty and mm. and th- there's just a void where there should be laughter that kind of sucks all the enjoyment out of it obviously red dwarf uh ditched the laugh track uh, mm. and the audience along the way at a certain point and it can it just destroys awful, the the, yeah. the tone of the show and <laughs> And there's edits online that I, mm. I highly recommend anyone who's interested in like editing and things like that uh, look up. There's edits online people have done where they've just gone in and added canned laughter over those <laughs> scenes, and they work so much better. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, uh, and and similarly, you know, people have done edits of things like the Big Bang Theory where they remove all of the laughter, and it, it's 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 like a David Lynch production, like, <laughs> horrific. Um, <laughs> So it, it's a it's a difficult line to walk, and no, I I agree. Something about this works very well. They just kind of nail it. Do you know what though? Having watched a lot of these episodes and um, the live nature of it, not just recorded live like most six, you know stage set sitcoms are, but also transmitted live. So if it goes wrong, it, it, you see it, yeah. right? 
actually very rarely that anything particularly big happens, any flubs or anything like that. It's, it's obviously they're pretty strict with it. Oh, you know what? In the episode I watched, one of the characters, one of the women, did sort of flub a line, and I did think... Yes, I know I know exactly what you're talking about. She sort of starts the line and then starts it again. Like Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. And I did pick up on that and think, huh, was that... Did she mess that up? Interesting mm-hmm. they didn't even bother doing another take. Maybe it was just like a nice little character detail? There's only a couple of times within the TV show that I would say I've seen someone actually kind of snigger, like like break character corpse a little bit and even then they kind of just they quickly sort of struggle through it but they these guys it was a they were obviously stage professionals and a bit more drilled and it's like you don't you know you're a bit more strict with it i think but then also there's not a lot of we have to wait for the laughter to die down either yeah it's yeah. it's it's just quite medium level humor. It's not there's not a lot mm. of big laugh out loud moments. Yeah. It's just gentle. kind of mm. gentle humor, yeah. I think that's what I'm probably responding to. I I feel like in the film version when there's a punchline, the film will punctuate that with a close up of the gag that's happening or something. Mm. There's just yeah. there's just more of a bit of a hand holding like oh this is supposed to be funny. So, I think we're all kind of on the same page here eh? mildly amusing <laughs> mildly entertaining and i think that's what it was designed to do yeah yeah I, I think it's mildly amusing i think it's nice gentle comedy i think it's i think it's it's pr- problematic in some ways these days but but in in ways that were not even controversial back then it's not mean-spirited what it's doing you know? exactly yeah. our standard approach to that is to is to say how would it have been perceived at the time you know different time well, I think I think my conclusion is if if any of our listeners have not, like Saul, seen any of the Carry On films, they should go and watch the bloody Carry On films. Mm. I mean, that's not that's really outside of our brief. But honestly, if you like <laughs> British comedy, watch the Carry On films for God's sake. I only asked. So that that's your lot. Sol, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for uh, putting yourself through this traumatic episode. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> Gareth, what's our social mm. media presence? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. Well, we are on Twitter and Instagram at BritComPod. And we've got a page on Facebook, which is just British Sitcom History Podcast. All right. Do join us there. Tell us your thoughts. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>